We are in the uh, book of 2 Corinthians, the third letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, right? Uh, Remember, it's the third letter because there is a second letter we do not have access to. We have never read. We don't know. We just know it was a very severe letter. In this particular sequence, just to remind you of the context, because if we study Scripture without context, we are fools, Because scripture fits into a context locally and throughout time and space. And in the context of its own writing. So we must always recap context. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. uh, And this letter starts out profoundly with Paul launching right out the gates. Grace and peace from God to you. It seems like an ordinary start. There are many other letters that start this way, but this one is profound because Paul is writing a letter to a church that has essentially been treating him incredibly badly. They have, they have forgotten all of the reality of his heart and soul and blood and sweat that he's poured into their story. He has probably at this point given more attention, more energy, more focus, more, more lavishing of love on the church in Corinth than perhaps any other church he has been part of. Th- think about that. They have gotten more of Paul than any other church to date up to now. And yet they are saying of Paul, you do not love us. You do not care about us. You are insincere. You are deceptive. You are fickle. You keep changing your plans because you don't want to be with us. You keep saying you're going to come and then you don't come. Your letters say one thing, but we know they mean something else. You are, you are lording your power over us with your letters being so harsh and corrective. We just want to be who we want to be. And you keep telling us what to do. And so you have this church that Paul, Paul is pouring himself into. And their response to him is, you're a jerk. You don't like us. You hate us. You care about everybody else but not us. And so uh, what a profound reality that Paul would write into that context, a third letter, preparing them for another visit he's going to make and start out, grace and peace from God to you. Wow. And then the very next paragraph in the opening of the letter is this God from whom I am, uh, I am giving you grace and peace. He is the God of all mercies. He is the God of all comfort. And he comforts you in all of your affliction. Imagine saying that to a church that is actively foolish. You know what I'm saying? Like you usually say that to people that have been actively wise and yet circumstances are not playing out well. You go, God is going to comfort you. But when a foolish people group are foolish, you don't want to say, God will comfort you. You want to say, hey, you get what you come, you, know, you, you, you got what's coming to you. But he, he, but, he, but he lays out this beautiful reality. And then we get to the third little section as Paul begins to launch into the bulk of this letter. And I got to tell you, the section we're going to jump into as we enter in this weekend, uh, it, it doesn't at face value seem terribly profound. Like you, you step in and you're like, profound grace and peace, the God of all comfort. And then you hit this little section. He's like, now, now look, guys, here's the deal, okay? And it looks like Paul's kind of boasting. Look, I, I'm this and I'm that. 
And then he's like, and look, here's why I didn't go there, and here's why I didn't do that, and here's why that happened. And it, it looks like Paul's just unraveling a big yarn of, uh, uh, I mean, a, a b- big ball of yarn that has knots, and, and he's kind of undoing it for them and explaining to them uh, why he did what he did and why he couldn't come when he couldn't come. And, and, and you sort of look at this and go, this is so weird. Grace and peace to you from the God of all comfort. Okay, now look, here's why I didn't visit you last week, okay? And you're like, what? I mean, I want something big, something profound right here. And I get like, uh, this is why I didn't come. But when you actually start digging into this passage, and you start seeing it placed in the context of what Paul is doing here, in the context of what God is beginning to unpack, you suddenly realize that something incredibly profound is actually happening here. Have you ever been in those spaces in your life where you pour yourself out into the lives of somebody and, and, and you give yourself to them and, and, and you gotta be firm, you, you gotta be hard on them, you gotta challenge them, you gotta push them. Maybe in the workspace and the team you're leading, maybe in the home with, with, with your family, maybe in some social network where you've got dear friends and you know you just gotta push them and, and you have literally, you have proven and proven and proven to them your love for them and the first time you step in and you start challenging and pushing, they look at you and like, you don't love me. You don't care about me and they bail on you and they call you names and they think you're a jerk and you're like, what? Have you ever been there? I'm there every day. I have eight kids eight of them. There is no human beings on this planet that I have poured more of myself out for than than these eight kids. I mean, they have my heart. They have me. I will give anything for them. I have given everything for them. I tell them all the time, if I didn't have you, do you know how rich I would be? Do you know how many big screen televisions I would buy? Do you know what I would be driving? I mean, for real. Now, I probably wouldn't because I hopefully would be missional, but it sure feels good, doesn't it? (laughs) I'm broke and poor because of you. Because everything I make, I give for you. I buy you food. Eight people in my house that are now pre-teens or teens. Do you know how much they eat? (laughs) Gives me the chills. And so I tell them this. Every night, I tuck you in. Every day, I change meetings so I can be home on time to spend the evening with you. We carpool you all over the, 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 the planet. I mean, there's so much we give you. And then here's what happens with my kids. The first time I step in and I say, no, you, you, you know what? We're not going to do that right now. We're not going to go here right now. No, no, you can't have that. I, I get that reality, don't you? Oh, my gosh. What kind of a parent are you? Bobby's parents lets him do it. Bobby's parents doesn't care about Bobby, apparently. (laughs) I've said that sometimes. I'll admit it. I confess. I've done it. So then I'm like, no, what do you mean I don't care about you? you?" And then they're grumpy, and they walk around, and they grumble under their breath, and they call you things to each other. Can you believe Dad didn't say? Unbelievable. And then you you get the sense in you where you just want to walk up to them, and then they ask the question. It always comes. Why can't I? Or why do I have to? And then what I want to do is I want to go, do I look like I have to explain myself to you? I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to explain myself. I don't need to tell you squat about why I'm doing what I'm doing. You just listen and do it. Isn't that what you want to do? Sometimes I do it. There's a time for everything. Solomon said it. But there is also a time where that attitude within us that wants to be us and wants to go, 
listen, you want to call me a jerk. You want to accuse me of things. That's, that's your prerogative. Go for it. But I'm not going to explain myself to you. But there is something beautiful, something extraordinary when a parent out of a parent's heart says to a child or, a, or a, a leader on a team in the workplace with a team member that's acting crazy sits down over coffee and says, listen, can we just talk? Can we just look back for a second? I do this with my kids all the time. I look at them and I go, listen, come here for a second. Okay, so you're saying I'm a jerk because I'm not letting you do this thing. Let's, let's go back for a second. How many times has dad or mom said yes to things you've asked for? How many? Let's, no, 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 we're gonna remember together right now. We're gonna go back. Remember last week and the week before and the annual passes for this and the this for that and the trip here and the vacation there and the thing there and me. There. Do you remember all that? Because that's what you ought to be looking at. And, and who tucks you in at night? And who prays over you? And who cares for you? And who feeds you? And who changes everything? Why do I do that? Is that a boasting in myself? Is that me going, look at me. I'm an amazing dad. No, that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because if they do not see my love for them, then the enemy will deceive them into thinking I don't love them and they will behave in a manner that is not good for them and not good for the gospel and it will be a manner that they are actually captivated by and I want to set them free. So I don't boast in myself, I boast in the love that I've given them so that they would be free of the deception in which they live. Do you see the difference? And then what do I do? After I've said, do you see I love you? Then I graciously explain to them why I said no. So I often tell my kids, if I let you do this, if I give you this freedom now, what it will do in you is this, this, and this. Then once that happens, you will become this. Then when you turn 18, this will happen. Then when you're 23, you'll be at a job and you will do the same thing you're doing now that I would let you do. And then they're gonna fire you and you're gonna go home to your wife and kids and say, I'm so sorry I lost my job because my idiot dad let me play video games all day. <laughs> and I'm not gonna let that happen. So does that make sense when a parent does that? Is, is that an act of grace? Is that a parent's heart? That's exactly what you're gonna watch Paul do now. It's exactly what you're gonna watch Paul do now. And you're gonna see the beauty in it. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter one and let me show you as we journey together what Paul is up to here and why this passage is so profound even though it looks so ordinary when we first encounter it. Take a look at this. We're gonna go to page 666 of the Bibles we provide if you're using one of those. If you're using a smart device or one of your own Bibles, then go to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter one, verse 12. 2 Corinthians Chapter one, verse 12. So look where Paul begins. So you see, if you read this without the context, then it sounds like he's boasting. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. See where he starts? Paul starts out after grace and peace to you from God, the God of all comfort, the God of all mercy who comforts you in your affliction. The next line is Paul saying, I boast in this, that when we came to you, we came in simplicity, we came in sincerity, we came with love, 
and more so to you than to most. Do you see how he said that? And supremely toward you. When I showed up, when we showed up in your space, we loved you. You got to see that again. You got to know that. Paul's not boasting in himself. He has to boast in the love they have for the Corinthians because the Corinthians are blind to that love and therefore acting foolishly toward Paul and are being deceived by the Palestinian Jews who are trying to undermine them so that they can gain power and actually extract from them what they want. Do you see the enemies at work and Paul is boasting for freedom's sake. Now look what he says next. Look at this. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. It seems a little complex, doesn't it? But it's not complex. It's just saying this. If you read it again, you'll see. Paul's saying, listen, guys, when we came to you, did we come to you in insincerity? Did you, is there anything I did while I was with you that would tell you I was insincere? All those things that I faced in Corinth, the 18 months I was with you, did, was any of that insincere? Did I ever try to do anything to deceive you? Because why? Paul was accused of being insincere and deceptive. Remember that? That was one of the accusations. He was also accused of this, that his letters were saying one thing but meaning another. So what the Palestinian Jews were doing is sitting with them and saying this. Read the letter. You see how Paul says this? He didn't mean that. He didn't mean what he said. What he's actually trying to do is lord over you this over your faith. So Paul's writing this. Guys, when I came to you, I was sincere, was I not? And guys, the letters I wrote, allow me just to say it for the sake of saying it. What I wrote is what I said. There's no like in between the lines. There's no like secret. I wrote what I said. And what I said in the letter, go read it again, is what I said when I was with you. See how he said that? What we wrote is what we said, and what we said in the letter is what we said when we were with you. We're not trying to deceive you. We're trying to tell you the truth. And why am I saying these things in the letter that I said, that I said to you when I was there? I wrote a letter to you so that you would have a greater understanding of the things you started understanding when I was there. See, the first letter Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians, remember? It was in response to a letter from the church saying, you taught these things, but we're not quite sure how they play out. So Paul's saying, what you understood partially when I was there, I try to write a letter so that you could understand more fully. Do you see what Paul's doing here? Like a parent talking to children who are going, well, why'd you do that then? And why'd you say that then? And why'd you do Paul's going, I, I, I actually did that for this reason because you didn't understand it the first time so I had to repeat myself 17 times. But clearly you're still confused so I'll keep repeating myself. That's what Paul's doing. And then he gives us this beautiful little verse that I tell my kids all the time. I actually use this. It wasn't out of this passage when I found them. I'm like, oh, I do that. God, I do that to my kids. That's so cool. Here's what Paul did. I do all this so that one day when you get older, more mature, you will feel as blessed that I was your parent as I feel blessed that you are my child. That the fruit born in your life would bring me blessing but that that fruit would cause you to feel blessed that I was in your life mentoring you. Don't, don't you say that to your kids sometimes? I don't care if you like me now. I want you to like me when you're 30. 
And when you're 30, if I let you play video games all day now, you won't like me when you're 30. Because you'll wake up then and go, well, hold, hold on, what about that education thing you were supposed to do? Uh, I just wanted you to like me when you were 16. So I let you have whatever you want. Well, that doesn't help me now. See, I want my kids to come back and call Brooke and I blessed. I don't really care if they call me blessed now. They're not going to. If you have preteens or teens or post-teens, they are going to hate you at times. It's what they're made to do. It's part of the God-given movement from dependence to independence. It's actually a pretty cool thing. It's just a corrupt version of it. It's a human being saying, I no longer need you to take care of me all the time. And I've got to learn to take care of myself. Here's how that comes out in a corrupted version. I don't have to do what you say, right? So they're gonna hate us for a while, it's okay. We navigate through it well, and they love us on the back end. And that's what Paul's saying here. I'm doing all this to you now. I wrote the severe letter to you because someday when you recognize in your maturity how mature I was for you, you will be as greatly appreciative of me as I am of you. And that, look, that's exactly what he said. So that on that day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Wow. Because I was sure of this. Now, now that's a beautiful start to this little piece because here's what Paul's saying. I just told you that I came to you with sincerity and love, that I wrote to you in clarity to expand what you already knew when we came, but that you needed more expansion of. And I do all of this because I am sure of this, that in the future, I will boast in the fruit in your life as you will boast in the fruit I bore in you, since I am sure of this. Now, that's a beautiful act of grace. Because remember, the church is acting in such a way that he should be sure of nothing. Have you ever lived in that space where uh, your children or that team at work are behaving in such a way that you're like, I don't know if you're going to burn the world to the ground or if you're going to change the world, but we're, this is uncertain still, you know? There, there are seasons in our life where the people acting toward us badly, we are genuinely unsure if there's ever going to be redemption. Have you ever felt that way? Paul should be genuinely unsure of their redemptive reality, but he says, no, no, no. Because I was sure of this, that the fruit will be born, I haven't given up on you. Because I'm sure it's going to go well, because God is at work, I'm going to keep pressing in. I'm going to keep visiting. I'm going to keep writing. I love Paul's extraordinary grace toward them here. This is Paul's grace toward the church in Corinth. Now look at this. I wanted to come to you first, <clears throat> so that you might have a second experience of grace. See, because Paul is sure of the fruit that will be born in them, he said, when I went to Macedonia the first time, I wanted to swing by your place, hang out with you guys for a while on my way to Macedonia because I wanted you to experience a second uh, a, a filling of grace. What is the second experience of grace? Well, we, we don't really totally know, honestly, but there are two general views out there uh, in, in among the historians. One is that in First and Second Corinthians and other writings of Paul, he often equates the joy and privilege of financially participating in the story of God as an act of grace. You'll see it in Second Corinthians later on. He calls it an act of grace. So it's possible what Paul meant was, I was on my way through, I wanted to come visit you the first time so that I could once again take from the resources that you have in abundance and, and, and share that with the church in Jerusalem, which they'd already done once, and that you could actively receive a second experience of grace. 
case, that's one possibility. The other possibility is just this, that Paul's saying, when I come visit with you and we get to sit for hours together till late at night talking gospel, what, an, uh, what a beautiful uh, act of experience of grace that is to all of us, right? So he goes, look, I wanted to swing by so that I could give you a second experience of grace. I, I really did. Now look what he says here. I wanted to visit you on my way up to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? So what is Paul saying here? You see what he's doing like a beautiful parent? He's going, guys, the first time I was gonna come visit, you call me fickle. You say I vacillate back and forth between my plans. Here's the deal, okay? Let me explain. I was planning to visit you on my way up to Macedonia. That's what I was planning to do so that we could share grace. Then I was planning to visit you on my way back through from Macedonia back to Ephesus. I was planning to do that. So do you really think, do you really think, Corinthians, considering my sincerity and love for you and the letters I've written to you, that I actually sat in Ephesus, sent you word, I'm coming to visit you. No, I'm not coming to visit you. No, I'm not. Do you really think I was saying yes, yes, but actually meaning no, no? That I was actually going yes, yes, but no, no at the same time. See, that's what they were accusing him of. You're fickle. You make plans. You decide what you want to do. And then when your mood changes, you change your plans. That's what they were accusing him of. And he's going, do you legitimately think that's what I was doing? Yes, yes. No, no. I'm going to come. I'm not going to come. Look what he says. This is so beautiful. Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. Think God's faithfulness. I, I'm, I'm laying this, it's almost like a, as faithful as God is. I'm laying this on God's faithfulness. I never once said to you, I'm going to come, but actually meant I'm not. I never once said to you, I'm planning to come, and then when my mood changed, I decided not to come. That has never happened. That has never happened. And now, he is going to illustrate through a particular narrative, a particular story, why it was never a yes, yes, no, no. A yes and a no simultaneously. And here's what's awesome about Paul. And this is a little side note, but, uh, but mark it, folks, in your mind. Paul is going to illustrate through the story of the gospel. In every reality, when you are in any relational dynamic, working through difficult things, have the gospel with you all the time. Look at what Paul does here. Look at this. So I'll read that again. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Savalus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no. But in him, it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. And it is God who established us in, with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The entire gospel in three sentences. Isn't that amazing? Guys, when we go, the gospel is super complicated. Here it is, three sentences. 
The reason my yes was yes and not yes, no, is because God is faithful and I am pursuing Christ and I'm living my life for Christ because it is Christ who brought me to you in the first place. Christ who said yes to you. Christ who says yes to you. Christ who is doing in you what needs to be done, not me. It is Christ who established you. Christ who established me. Christ who anointed us to come to you. Christ who has filled us with the Spirit and through the Spirit of God, that is what gives us our authority to take redemption into a dark world and kill darkness. That's what Paul just wrote in three sentences. Guys, when I didn't come to you, it wasn't because my mood changed. It wasn't because I'm fickle. It's because I follow Jesus and do what he says. I don't follow you or your need. I don't follow me or my mood. I follow Jesus and what he says. Now look, he's actually going to say that. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over you, your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? I wrote as I did so that when I come, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. That's an interesting paragraph. So look what Paul just did. This is awesome. Like a parent. Watch this. The first time I meant to come to you in Macedonia, I didn't because I follow God. And God had a different plan. So I went with his plan. Let me give you a piece of wise advice, Paul says to them. If God gives you a plan, stick to his plan. Don't change your plan to please people. Don't change your plan to please yourself. Don't change your plan for any reason. Do what God says. And whatever wrath comes your way from the people that thought you had to do what they say, oh well, that's what Paul's saying to them. Now he's saying this, watch this. He goes, now the second time I didn't visit, that wasn't God telling me no. I decided not to come. See how honest he is? He's not trying to over-spiritualize this and go, every time you do anything, I mean, I love this. I see this all the time in, in, the, in the, the dating courting relationships, Right? Some guy and girl are together and then the, the, the girl wants to break up with the guy or the guy wants to break up with the girl and then this is what they tell the, the, the girl, right? You know, I, I love you. I, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but God said I need to break up with you. It's a cop-out. Don't do that. It's not fair. Don't put that on God, boys and girls. If you don't want to be with a person, I want to tell them that. Be honest. See, we over-spiritualize anything that we're like, oh, it's not my fault, it's Jesus' fault. I would have come, but I could. See, that's not what Paul's doing here. You would think maybe he's just doing that. But then the very next sentence, he's like, now the first time I wanted to come, I didn't come because God told me to go somewhere else and take a different route. Now the second time I didn't come, that was because I didn't want to come. God didn't tell me, don't go. I made up my mind not to come to you. Why not? Because you remember that Paul had visited a second time after his first period of 18 months there, and that visit, remember, went really badly. So here's what happened with Paul. He visited them. They were jerks toward him. They accused him of a bunch of stuff. The, the Palestinian Jews were there stirring things up. Paul left hurt, and then Paul was gonna come back a, a third time to visit, and he made up his mind not to come. He said, I made up my mind not to come. Do you know why? To spare you my wrath. Have you ever had those moments where you said, yeah, could you, you, you know, now's a good time for you to go to your room. It's not so much for me as much as it is for you. Because if you stay here and keep talking back, this is going to go super badly. You are digging a hole so deep right now, and you're about to lose everything you've ever earned in the 16 years you've been alive. So 
You want to spare yourself the wrath of dad? You run very fast to that room of yours. Shut that door and keep it shut till you can come down and apologize. And while you do that, I will think about not taking your entire life away from you. <laughs> have you ever been there? Well, if you haven't, I have. So, welcome. See, this is what Paul says. He says, look, the second time I didn't come visit, think, Corinthians, why didn't I come? Because I'm fickle, because I don't care about you, because I want to show up? No, because you were jerks to me the second time, and if I came the third time, honestly, that was right after I received word that you were accusing me of the 20 things you were, and I was ready to come. Don't get me wrong. I wanted to come, but I was coming as Paul the mad Paul. Paul the wrath-filled Paul. Paul the, okay, you want the wrath of God? That's part of being an apostle. I can bring it. But I decided not to come to spare you my wrath. So you know what I did instead? I wrote it on paper. Severe letter. Oh, it was severe. But if you think that letter was severe, you have no idea what it would have been like if I actually came. Have you ever had that where if you write things down, it's a little better? Not quite as emotional. And they don't talk back, do they, when you write it down? Right? It's like, just take it, read it, don't talk to me. And Paul says, do you understand the second time I didn't come and I changed my plans? Because he'd obviously told them, I'm going to come. And then he said, you know, you know what, on second thought, I'm not going to come. That wasn't a yes, yes, no, no. It was, I'm going to come, but I'm really ticked off. Maybe it's better I don't. Tell you what, I'll write you a letter. So he said, look, that's why I did it, to spare you. Because if I came, I would cause you pain. And then the people that are supposed to bring me joy are going to be in pain because of me. And then I'm going to feel heavy about that. So instead, I wrote you a severe letter so that we could set the tone for a future visit. Now, take a look at this. So he says, I wrote as I did because I want to come. For I wrote to you, verse 4, look at this, chapter 2, verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with which many tears not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. What a great way to end this little section where Paul says, I, I came to you in sincerity and love. I wrote to you in clarity to expand your knowledge of what you began to understand while I was there. I didn't come to you the first time because, folks, it's important that when God directs our steps, we trust God even when we know that we really want to do something else. And then if we don't, people will be upset or we won't get what we want. It's still important to do what God says. And the second time I didn't come was to spare you, not to hurt you. And so I wrote a letter that was very, very severe. And by the way, I didn't write that letter lightly. See, so he says, when I wrote that letter, do you understand? I sat over my desk, and as I wrote, tears rolled down my face with every word I penned. I was in anguish over you. I was desperate to try to make things right. I was so mad at you, and yet so compassionate for you, and all I wanted was your good. So when I wrote that se severe letter, it was painful for me, more painful than if I'd come. But since if I came, I would have had less pain, you would have had more. I chose my pain over yours. And why have I done all of this? Because I love you. Because I love you. Remember, he's still writing to a church that hasn't yet quite reconciled these accusations. That's why he's unraveling this. 
It's not like he got a letter from them. Paul, we're so sorry. We, do, we don't believe any of this anymore. Oh, well, when I wrote to you last time, I was mad, and now we're all good. No, no, they still believe this stuff. That's why he's unraveling it in this paragraph. But do you see his heart? Last letter was severe. I'm writing this letter to prepare the way for me to come visit again. But I want you to know, I am not insincere, deceptive, fickle, lording over you, and my letters are not to confuse. They are out of love for you. Now, this is a beautiful passage. I'm so glad we got to unpack this passage, but I will be honest with you. Considering the reality of this letter, I did wonder, and still, uh, uh, when I I first read it, why did God include this passage? I mean, this is the Bible, you understand? This isn't just like some book. Like, oh, that's a neat passage. This is the inspired word of God, where every word is God-breathed, inspired by the Spirit of God. And we got a paragraph about, here's why I didn't visit, and here's why I didn't come the second time, and here's why I didn't do it the third time. Sometimes I read passages like that in the New Testament, and I'm like, God, I'm just curious. Why include that in the Scriptures? Why? I mean, include things in the Scriptures that are, like, important. This is, like, between Paul and the Corinthians. Couldn't you have said to Paul, Paul, Write an addendum to the letter that's not going to go in the Bible. Just a little thing about why you didn't come visit. Why put it in here? Well, I'll tell you exactly why. Because God is building for us, for his global church, a picture of his heart for us and his heart for the church. And here's his heart for the church. You'll see it throughout this letter and frankly in every other encounter we have throughout scripture. Here's his heart. That in our deadness, lostness, God would affect through his great love a lavishing of grace upon us that would awaken our souls, bring us to life, affect our ability to express faith, which would justify us and save us for all eternity by the lavished grace of God and his great love, and we would be free. And then in that freedom, We would be so captivated by the lavishing of God's grace upon us and His great love for us that we would respond in kind with lavishing grace upon one another. Now, lavishing grace upon one another doesn't mean excusing sin. It doesn't mean allowing foolishness. It doesn't mean, oh, we'll just let anything go on that we want. That's not grace. That's stupidity. That's hatred toward one another. If I'm acting foolishly and you don't come enter my life and push, you hate me. Do you understand that? Because your love for me as my love for you should compel us to constantly draw one another near to God. And so when we approach one another in foolishness, should we approach gently? Yes. With great love? Yes. With patience? Yes. With restoration and redemption in view? Yes but should we ignore it? No. No. Grace is not ignoring sin. Grace is gently, lovingly propelling one another toward Jesus. And he says, since I've lavished my grace upon you, I want you to lavish your grace upon one another. And then as you lavish your grace upon one another, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for each other and you as a body will lavish my grace upon the world. Wow. That's what God wants for us. And look, what, look what's happening in 2 Corinthians. It starts here. 
Grace and peace to you from God. That's not from Paul. Do you understand? That's not from Paul. That's from God. The God of all comfort, the God of all mercy, who comforts us in all our affliction. That's still from God. And that's just unpacking the God who's just given you grace and peace. You with me? But this paragraph is not grace from God. It's grace from who? From Paul. It's grace from Paul. It's an active display of Paul's grace toward the Corinthians. So here's what we're seeing in a sequence. God's grace first to me, then my grace to you, then our grace to the world. There's the heart of God. What should mark us as a church is unity. What should mark us as a church is reconciliation. What should mark us as a church is redemption toward one another. And what should mark us as a church is that active reality played out in the world to be full of grace for the world and to draw them to the glory and grace of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, Paul will later on write and listen to what he does here. This is incredible. Listen to this. Romans chapter 12, in verse 1, he says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. So, in view of God's mercies, present yourself to God. For what purpose, right? Then, verses uh, 3 through verses 8 is all about us functioning in unity as a body. So, in view of God's mercy and grace toward you, be gracious toward one another and function in unity. And then, verse 9 through 21, look at this. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Combat, uh, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Then, that's to each other, now to the world. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and, not do, and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. That's the whole world. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, not one another, all. This is God's heart for us. In view of God's grace to you, be gracious to each other. And in your grace toward each other, be gracious to the world. And the, redemptive, the, the redemption of God will be made known. What a profound passage to include in this book, isn't it? That the immediate passage after grace and peace to you from God, the God of all comfort, is let me show you my grace toward you now. And God tangibly demonstrates Paul's grace toward the Corinthians in a paragraph that seems to not fit, but ends up fitting exactly where it was always meant to be. May we show grace toward one another in all that we do so that unity, reconciliation, and redemption will always mark us as a people of God, a community of believers, the church. Let's pray. God, thank you for this extraordinary passage. May it be true of us 
that we are never marked by the size of our building, by the excellence of our programs, by the wonder of our worship, by the eloquence of our preaching, by the magnitude of our financial abilities. May we never be marked by those things. If they come our way, may we steward them well. May we always choose to try to be as excellent and eloquent and generous as we can be. May we always choose to facilitate whatever you do in our midst, but may those things never mark us. May we be marked by our unity, our sincerity, our authenticity, our reconciliation toward one another, our grace toward one another, and our grace toward the world, a grace that does not excuse or ignore foolishness and sin, but that gently, beautifully, relationally, lovingly confronts it, encounters it, works through it, journeys into righteousness for the sake of freedom and for the beauty of the gospel and for the glory of God and the expansion of your kingdom. May this be who we are, not just who we say we are, not just who we want to be, but who we actually are. And for that spirit of God, we are going to need you every moment to teach us, to transform us, to shape us, to compel us, to pro propel us, to, to convict us, to exhort us, to move us. Make it so. Make it so in our midst so that the beauty of your redemptive story would be made beautiful here, we pray.